Welcome to the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast, hosted by me, Jason Sacco. I'm a longtime spondy looking to bring the community closer to give the community a voice. I'll be reaching out to organizations, doctors, nutritionists, and anyone that I think can help increase our spondy quality of life. Enjoy and learn what is available to make your life better. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast. Well, I've got a couple of neat things I wanted to share with everyone. First, we've got the first download to come out of the country of Rwanda. Makes the 114th country, I think. I hope it wasn't a mistake. I hope somebody is actually going to start to listen and be benefiting from connecting with others that have axial spondyloarthritis from around the world if they need the help and want to connect with everyone. Second of all, got a very cool review that came in from someone named Strudels in Australia. They wrote a great review. They wrote, very informative and uplifting. Says, I found this podcast after a rheumatologist said she suspected ankylosing spondylitis. Jason has a great way of talking, sharing facts and information that is super easy to listen to and always tries to put a positive, uplifting spin on things. AS can have a lot of doom and gloom, but this podcast shows we can have some hope that there are things that we can do that will help us live our lives. I'm grateful for the knowledge I've gained. It was very helpful when I had my follow-up doctor's appointments to confirm the diagnosis. Without the Spondy podcast, I would have found the diagnosis completely overwhelming. While the podcast is based in the U.S., the info is still relevant in Australia where I live. I will definitely recommend my friends and family and colleagues listen to the podcast and any patients I may have, in parentheses, I'm a nurse, that have a recent diagnosis. Well, Strudels, thank you for listening. Thank you for that amazing review. It's for folks like yourself going through a diagnosis, trying to come to grips with the diagnosis, trying to deal with it after you were diagnosed years ago and just never wanted to face up to it. That's why I did this show. You know, it's exactly the the help I hope people take away from this is to say, let me try these things that I might not have considered. Let me look at it this way and maybe I can overcome whatever barrier I might feel that is in front of me. So again, thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. And with that, let's jump into today's show. You know, I wanted to talk about something that affects me. It may affect others with axial spondyloarthritis. And I hope as we go forward and the the medications that they have, the biologic treatments, that this becomes an item that's lesser used, lesser as a, as a lesser resort that people have to turn to. And that is understanding joint replacement surgery and axial spondyloarthritis, and primarily looking at hip replacements. I've said in many episodes, I've had bilateral hip replacements. That's primarily the reason I was approved in the United States so quickly for disability. The ankylosing spondylitis or axial spondyloarthritis was really just the icing on the cake. That just, you know, was in addition to. But this particular study comes out of the country of Ireland. And because it's fairly scientific in its discussion, and there will be a link in the show notes, I'm going to pretty much read this verbatim because I don't want my interpretation to maybe lose out some of the data. It is very, very neat 
what was found by this, but it's also something that I think uh, we can take away some good information. And, and if you want to see the chart that will be referenced in this, it's going to be in the article linked in the show notes. So this was from EMJ Reviews, but it's called Understanding Joint Replacements in uh, Axial Spondyloarthritis. And it's from July 21st of 2020. It's, it's real short too. It's not something very detailed as far as that you have to be a doctor to understand it. So what are they looking at in this? And I'm just going to just gonna read it. So it's background and aims of this. Axial spondyloarthritis is a form of inflammatory arthritis that primarily affects the axial skeleton and sacroiliac joints, but can also be associated with peripheral arthritis. Uh, rapid advances in the field of axial spondyloarthritis have led to faster detection, diagnosis, and treatment of this disease. This improved management has led to enhanced levels of function and quality of life for patients. However, despite this, a proportion of patients are still requiring joint replacement surgery. So the Axial Spondyloarthritis Registry of Ireland, the ASRI, is a source of epidemiological data on patients with axial spondyloarthritis in Ireland. Given the large size of the ASRI to date, it provides a prime opportunity to analyze patients with axial spondyloarthritis requiring joint replacement surgery. This detailed analysis was undertaken to determine trends in disease and baseline demographics of patients with axial spondyloarthritis requiring joint replacement surgery. So what are the materials and methods that were used? Well, patients requiring joint replacement surgery were compared to the rest of the ASRI cohort. Baseline demographics, which were detailed in Table 1, were compared between the groups. In addition, scores of disease activity and functional impairment, like the Bath Ankylosing Spondylitis Disease Activity Index, the Bath Ankylosing Spondylitis Functional Index, the Health Assessment Questionnaire, the Ankylosing Spondylitis Quality of Life Questionnaire, and the Bath Ankylosing Spondylitis Meteorological Index were analyzed. An independent two-tailed t-test was used to determine statistical significance between the groups. Further analysis on sex, human leukocyte antigen, the HLA B27 status, comorbidities, and medication exposure were performed using chi-squared test for independence. A p-value of less than 0.05 was deemed significant. And again, that won't mean anything to those of you listening you'll want to go look at the graph in the linked article to see where this comes into play. So what were the results? Well, in total, out of the 860 ASRI patients, about 3.8% or 33 of them required uh, joint replacement surgery. These patients were noted to be significantly older than the rest of the cohort, 55 versus 45, were longer disease duration, 31 versus 18 years, and higher rates of HLA B27 positive tests, 90, almost 95% versus 80% overall. There was no significant differences were found between the sexes. That is a key thing right there. That's just another piece that I think breaks down that long-standing, old, old idea that this was a men's disease. They're again finding no significant differences were found between the sexes. A number of comorbidities were analyzed. Patients requiring joint replacement had higher rates of all test comorbidities, with the exception of tuberculosis, 
chronic lung disease, and depression. No significant differences were found between medication exposure rates, although the joint replacement population did have higher rates of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, synthetic disease-modifying uh, anti-rheumatic drugs, and biologic therapy usage than the rest of the population. However, the, however, this did not reach significance, and that would make sense. They had a much longer time period of diagnosis, so there should have been a much greater uh, exposure to the different medications. These patients also achieved poor scores for all measures of disease activity, although this only reached significance in the BASFI study. So what's the conclusion out of this? Patients requiring joint replacement surgery, although few in number, represent a cohort with significant impaired function and quality of life. This is likely because these patients were older with more established disease. It is therefore not surprising that this cohort had higher rates of several comorbidities and significantly worse spinal mobility. As registries continue to develop, the article goes on to state, it will be interesting to see if rates of joint replacement surgery will decline with increased use of biological therapies, which are being brought in at an earlier stage of the disease. This will help to differentiate patients requiring joint replacement surgery caused by underlying inflammatory arthritis and osteoarthritis. So overall, that's a really neat study that was done. Again, not a large amount of people, 860, but a large enough study that they can derive some good data out of this. I think there's some interesting things to take away. The comorbidities, they played a part on it, as well as age. It's not unusual here, at least in the United States, to see folks of a certain age being more susceptible to joint replacement. I'm that outlier. As I've told many before, I had my first hip replacement done when I was 21 years old, completely off the charts compared to some of these ages that they discussed in this article. My left hip was done when I was 21. My right hip was done when I was 23. I'm 51 now. My right hip is still the same hip. My left hip has been done two more times, and those two took place within 30 days of each other. Oh, geez, I guess we're going on 10 years ago now. And I've dealt with the peripheral nerve damage and uh, the neuropathy, the drop foot in my left foot, my left leg since that period. So a hip replacement, well, they've gotten better. They do them now in many cases in a much more less invasive procedure than what they did, you know, almost 30 years ago when I had mine done. It's not something you should be afraid of if you need it, but it's encouraging to see this study was from last year. This article was from last year, so this study was relatively recent. And what I hope to see is something similar done in the United States, something similar done in Canada, something similar done in these different areas, the UK, where there's significantly large portions of people with AS that if you can take studies done in all these different areas, then you get some really serious large numbers, which just exponentially increases, hopefully, items that can be derived from this. But as I've told folks, once you're getting diagnosed and you're pushing, I, I highly, highly encourage you to not use the term ankylosing spondylitis when you go to the doctor. He or she may use it, and that's fine, 
but you want to always insist on referencing axial spondyloarthritis. The reason being is if you go in there with the mindset that I have ankylosing spondylitis, and as I've said in other episodes, the doctor says, I don't see any fusing. I don't see any of this. And then tells you, you don't have ankylosing spondylitis because there's no visible fusing. You go away upset because you think you're being dismissed. The doctor doesn't feel like, maybe doesn't feel like uh, they're providing you the level of care you need. And it becomes a cycle of you insisting, I've got ankylosing spondylitis. And the doctor's saying, but you don't. Whereas if you use the term axial spondyloarthritis and think of it as a level, like a, a plane that you travel across, going from non-radiographic, where you've got all the pain, all these symptoms, everything that would lead to it except the visible fusing, and your body progresses down that plane to a visible fusing and damage, what you want to do is stop it before it gets there. And that's done right now via biological treatments. I'm not going to say that there's not certain people that can stop it via healthy means, whatever those are. But by and far, the largest bulk of people will generally benefit from taking a biologic treatment as early as possible. Yes, there are going to be some people that'll step up and say, but I got sick or my family's got a cancer. That's all viable concerns for you. But when I'm talking in generalities across everybody with axial spondyloarthritis, the biologic treatment introduction early on is what's going to hopefully slow or stop the progression of the fusing and then allow you to get the inflammatory pain under control, whether that be by additional medications or whether that be by food, diet. That's another one. There are no specific long-term studies that show diet has a great part in it. So what I always tell everyone is eat what makes you feel best. Eat what brings you the least amount of pain. And you'll find those as you have to play around in whether it be an elimination diet, just cut back on what you're eating, cutting out just all processed foods. You'll have to do what works best for you. So again, I'll get off the soapbox here. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate the kind words that I get through the reviews, the wonderful emails that I've received, uh, the questions that come in. All of it is fantastic. And to see another country pop up on the map, it just is amazing to think that I started this with the idea that nobody would ever listen. And 114 countries later, we're starting to take this community into a global group where I can now reach out. If you go to AS underscore podcast on Instagram, please follow that. You can reach out to people in Canada, Ireland. I think there's India, all around the world. And everyone's there to support you, to help you in your journey to conquer and take your life back as much as you can from axial spondyloarthritis. So thank you. And everyone have a wonderful week.